modern piano keyboard has 88 keys. There are 52 white ones, those are the natural notes, and 36 black ones, those are the sharps and the flats. There weren't always 88 keys, but at some point, everyone kind of agreed, 88, that's the number. If you ask me, 88 is a perfect number of keys to have on a piano, but that's just me. Let's ask the horns what they think. Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. My name is Kirk Hamilton, and as always, I'm so glad that you've joined me to talk about the white keys and the black keys and the many combinations of the two that produce that wonderful thing that we call music. We're going to be talking a lot about the piano today and about a very famous piano player, so pour yourself a beverage, find your favorite listening spot, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. A couple of notes before we get started. First of all, I hope you like the new Strong Songs theme music. I spent quite a while writing it and recording it. It was a lot of fun. I played all the instruments on this version of it, though this version is somewhat of a work in progress. There are a couple of musicians that I would like to add to the final version, so I will be doing that in the weeks to come. It might not even be something that you would notice, but there will be a few other musicians on there, which is also fairly exciting. That new music, of course, was the reward for the first goal on my Patreon to support this show. Uh, We reached 150 backers, and that meant I was going to write new music. So I was was very happy to do that. If you like this show and want to support it, um, I really hope that you'll at least check out the Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash strong songs and that you will consider being a backer. This is the very first listener supported episode of Strong Songs and I really, really appreciate everyone who's signed up. Um, You can find the names of my half note and whole note backers in the show notes and thank you so much to them in particular. It just, it really means a lot that you have put financial support behind the show and it's making it possible for me to put more time into it and to make the show as good as it can possibly be and to continue to improve it in the future. A big thanks to everyone who has left a review on the Apple Podcast app or left a rating. That also really helps the show. And thanks to everyone who's been spreading the word, just telling their friends. I still hear from all these people who say they're telling their family members about it and telling their friends. And um, that's really, really cool as well. And I really appreciate it. We spent most of May answering listener questions. The last two episodes were listener Q&A episodes with a whole bunch of your questions and my answers, or at least my attempts at answers to your questions. Thanks so much to everybody who sent those in. If you would like to send a question for a future Q&A episode, you can send them to me at strongsongspodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet them at me at Kirk, K-I-R-K, Hamilton. And I've got a big list of questions to answer, but I'm always happy to hear more of your questions. And just because we did a bunch, you know, we're not going to do a Q&A episode for a little while, but we will do one again in the future. So feel free to send me your questions. All right, on to this episode, Strong Song. Or should I say Strong Songs? Because for the first time, we're trying something slightly different, and we are going to do two songs in one episode. That does not mean that this is a double LP episode. That means that this episode is going to talk about two songs by one songwriter, or should I say by one songwriting team. The first of those songs is probably a song that you know just by hearing the piano part to it, and it's a song that, unlike a lot of the songs we talk about, does not focus on a question. Instead, it focuses on a request, and that request is very straightforward. On the close, Some landing 
That's right, on this episode we're going to be talking about one of the greatest and most prolific songwriters of all time, Sir Elton Hercules John, who, with his lyricist writing partner Bernie Taupin, wrote more amazing hit songs than almost anyone I can think of. I've been on a total Elton John tear over the last few weeks listening to almost every one of his albums, and I really can't think of another artist who has created that much music, especially in the compressed time frame when you consider the early 1970s. So he's written so many good songs, he and Bernie Taupin have written so many good songs together, that I I didn't want to just talk about one as great as Tiny Dancer is. In fact, I want to talk about another one. That one also isn't based on a question. It's more of a kiss-off, really. So goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, but hold me closer, Tiny Dancer, two classic songs by Elton John with lyrics by Bernie Taupin that have stood the test of time and still stand among the greatest songs ever written. Now, of course, the main reason that I've been on an Elton John tear over the last few weeks is because I recently saw the new movie Rocket Man, which is a sort of a hybrid biopic jukebox musical movie telling the story of Elton John's life. It stars Taron Edgerton as Elton John, who not only plays uh, the part really well, but he sings really well, too, because unlike a lot of biopics like the recent Bohemian Rhapsody or other, you know, Walk the Line movies like that, the music isn't just presented sort of diegetically as they perform it on stage, you know, as the artists and the band's get together. This movie, Rocket Man, is actually also a musical. So there are times where like a whole cast of people will run out in the street and they'll begin doing a choreographed dance number and characters who aren't Elton John will just start singing out of nowhere. A man like him is dead in places. Other men feel Um, And all the music is Elton John, though it's actually presented out of order from when he wrote it. It's more used to sort of set the tone and the tenor of the scene. And it's all done really well. I think it's a very fun movie to watch. And I liked it a lot. I was particularly impressed with Taron Edgerton's singing. I just thought, you know, singing Elton John is not easy. And he did a really good job. So I like that movie a lot. It's a fun introduction to Elton's music and also a fun celebration of it for people who know it really well. And really, it was just a great excuse for me to go listen to a whole lot of Elton John songs and consider which ones I wanted to talk about on Strong Songs, which, believe me, was a very, very difficult choice to make. Part of the reason that I chose two songs is just because there are so many I honestly could have done an episode about any of a dozen or more Elton John songs. Um, But another reason that I picked these two songs is that I think that they're both very interesting just from a songwriter perspective, not so much in what they say about Elton John and the way that he wrote music or anything like that, but more just I think they're both interesting songs and they function very differently in a way that I think makes them cool counterparts to one another. So before we dive in, we're going to start with Tiny Dancer and then we're going to do Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And before we dive into either song, I want to get two shapes in your mind because those two shapes kind of define the two songs and the way that I kind of see them both working. Those two shapes are a straight line and a spiral. 
So Tiny Dancer is the straight line. This song moves in one direction. It moves straight forward from the very small and quiet beginning to the extremely epic chorus, which is one of the most famous choruses um, of any of Elton John's songs. Not only is it a strong song, Tiny Dancer is also a long song. It's more than six minutes long, and it takes it two and a half minutes to get to the chorus, which is an extremely long time for a pop song to get to the chorus. Tiny Dancer actually didn't do that well um, on the charts when it was released, and part of the reason for that is that it's just such a long journey from the beginning of the song to the chorus that it's not super radio friendly. However, it is super listener friendly if you're down for the journey. It's a straight line to a pretty incredible destination, and it builds and builds and builds in this steady crescendo until it finally arrives at an incredible chorus. It's a fascinatingly charted line, but it is just a straight line. Now, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, on the other hand, is totally a spiral. This song is so interesting. When I learned it, it's this steady, just sort of looping progression of chords that never actually really quite arrives anywhere on a kind of arrival point. It does have one arrival point in the middle and one at the end, but even that doesn't quite feel like a resolution or a climax the way that Tiny Dancer does. Instead, it just spirals around and around and around, somewhat like a road, like the Yellow Brick Road, and it feels like this wandering journey that only finally reaches um, a conclusion at the very, very end. It's structured very differently. It's much shorter than Tiny Dancer, but it works really, really well for what it is as well. So it's a very differently arranged and structured song and an interesting counterpoint to Tiny Dancer. So Vital Stats on Tiny Dancer, it was released in 1971 as part of the album Madman Across the Water. This was during a really prolific period of time for Elton John and Bernie Taupin. They were, they were releasing multiple albums each year, just full of songs Bernie would send the lyrics to Elton, Elton would write the songs, they would just go record them, and it was unbelievable how prolific they were. Uh, just for a, a frame of reference, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, largely seen as one of Elton's greatest albums that has a whole lot of his biggest hits on it, Benny and the Jets, Candle in the Wind, Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting, it has a bunch of great songs actually also that I didn't know. It, that's a really wonderful album. I like Madman Across the Water, but I love Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. That album, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, was released in 1973, just two years after Madman Across the Water, and there were albums albums released in the interim. So this was a wildly prolific time. Um, I honestly can't imagine writing this much music that fast. So Tiny Dancer starts here. Blue jean baby, LA lady, seamstress for the band. And two and a half minutes later, it's arrived here. The journey from that starting point to that chorus builds slowly and methodically, and it's really rewarding to pay attention and listen to all of the different ways um, that they've built the arrangement to that chorus, but it's actually so slow that a lot of people today don't really have time for it. I don't know if you've ever put this song on with people and waited to, you know, all sing along to the chorus, but it takes so long to get there that people tend to get kind of impatient. Obviously, the most famous sing-along of this takes place in Cameron Crowe's movie Almost Famous about a rock band touring in 1973, and during a sort of tense moment between the band when when they're fighting with their lead guitar player he gets on the bus and they're all sitting there kind of in tense silence and then the song is on the radio and they all start kind of singing along and when they arrive at the chorus together it's this moment where they all kind of realize the power of music to bring them together it's a really wonderful moment in a movie that i love a lot Go home. Count the headlights on the highway. 
you are home. But what's funny is I went back and watched the scene and actually they skip a whole verse and the pre-chorus so that they can get to the chorus a little bit faster because the movie just didn't have two and a half minutes to sit there while the arrangement steadily builds to the chorus. So even in one of the most famous instances of this song, um, they still had to kind of skip some stuff to get to the good stuff. Actually, in Rocket Man, there's also a really lovely version of this song and they do the same thing. They cut the chorus down, they cut down the pre-chorus so they can get to the chorus because that's the part that everybody knows. Now, of course, I don't begrudge these movies for trimming it down. They're movies. They need to get to the chorus. I totally understand why you would do that. However, they are cutting out a lot of really good stuff. So I want to kind of chart that course for you and explain how this song goes from that very simple just piano and vocals intro to the full-on climax of the chorus. So it actually just starts with Elton's solo on the piano going between a C chord and an F chord with a C pedal, it's called, with just the C in the bass steadily through the whole thing. It's such an iconic piano part, and I think that pedal is actually part of it. I love how this piano part sounds. It's You can hear it, and you immediately know what song you're listening to. It's, it's just it's these two chords, C and an F. It sounds kind of like this. So if you're listening to the bottom of that, you'll just hear that C, that low C, just over and over and over again. He's playing two different chords. He's playing a C and an F. That's the one and the four, very, very common chords in pop songs, but he's pedaling it over a C. Um, That pedal is like a a very common Elton John trick, actually. I love the way that he uses pedal tones, and that's what that's called. It's when you have kind of one note that's repeating in the bass, and then a bunch of chords move around over that note, but the note stays as this kind of pedal tone on the bottom. One really iconic version of a pedal tone that Elton John uses is actually in the song I'm Still Standing. He starts with a B-flat pedal going, where the bass is just playing a B-flat, but then the chords are moving around in a very dramatic fashion. So you can hear that, right? That bass is just down there bom, 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 on the V-flat while the chords move around super dramatically. It's a great chord progression. And then actually... I'm Still Standing is another rare song that goes to the parallel major for the verse. It's in B-flat minor on the chorus, then B-flat major on the verse. On the most recent Q&A episode, I talked about a Hosier song that did the same thing in D-flat. So uh, maybe he got the idea from Elton John. Uh, you, could, you can see how this is going to be hard, right? I want to talk about every single Elton John song, but I'm trying to focus on just these two. So let's get back to Tiny Dancer. So the entire first verse of this is just Elton unaccompanied on the piano. He's a fabulous piano player and gets a whole lot of drama out of his piano performance, but it's just him singing and playing piano. And then finally, a new instrument enters. Now she's in me, always with me, tiny dancing. That is a pedal steel guitar that you're hearing, the sort of a guitar that you play that looks a little bit more like a table, where you slide your hands along it and it lets you do these beautiful sliding notes and then you can slide and slip using pedals and create those really beautiful country western sounds. That's a musician I believe named BJ Cole playing it and it adds so much, it's such a wonderful texture and it was a really, really great choice um, for this place in the song. So the pedal steel comes in in the right channel and it kind of introduces the idea that there are gonna be more musicians and eases us out of Elton World where it was just us and him on the piano and really shortly after that, the rhythm section comes in. Tiny dancer in my hand. 
So now the whole band is in. Pedal Steel is Silver on the right. Roger Pope is playing drums. Caleb Kay is playing guitar in the left channel. And David Glover is down there pedaling on that, on that C. Just that C pedal tone is really emphasized once the bass has come in. Turning back. You can feel it, right? This steady, slow kind of burn, this slow build. Now that the band is in and the bass is kind of pedaling. One subtle thing that's happened here is Roger Pope has gone from the more closed hi-hat over to his ride cymbal. Listen for that. And then... The choir of backup vocalists comes in, introducing one of the final two musical elements in this song, and adding yet another layer that starts building us on our journey. I really like that piano break that comes before the pre-chorus, just because it kind of, it acts as a reset. Um, you know, we've been steadily building, we've added the pedal steel guitar, and then the rhythm section, the guitar, bass, and drums, and then kind of, you know, gone up to the ride cymbal, opened things up even more, then had the backup vocalist come in. It's sort of this steady build, and then they cut it off, and it goes back to the piano just for a moment to set us up for the pre-chorus. Now, this is actually where Almost Famous cuts to the chorus, and you could imagine the song going to the chorus, but they're so committed to taking their time getting to the chorus that nope, it's time for the pre-chorus, which is the name for in a song. This is the section that comes kind of in between the verse and the chorus that's designed to kind of set up the chorus, and that's exactly what this pre-chorus does. Check it out. It's a very dramatic shift. The groove just changes to this kind of bump, 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 driving groove, but also, and uh, much more noticeably, the harmony shifts dramatically. So we've been moving around, um, mostly around the key of C. This song is in the key of C, and it's been pretty, you know, C, F, a little bit of D minor, a little bit of A minor, uh, nothing super dramatic, but then suddenly the first chord of the pre-chorus is an A flat, and it goes from A flat to B flat, which is just a very dramatic shift to a different kind of a sound. And then, as they're building so dramatically, something even more dramatic happens. And that's not to do with the harmony, but it's to do with the rhythm. Listen to the recording and just try to keep the tempo, just feel the pulse, and try to listen to what they're doing with the pulse right before the chorus drops. And you can hear me when I say softly, slowly. So if you felt that, the whole band slowed down together, which is something known as a ritardando or a rallentando. They're kind of interchangeable. I believe that a rallentando is sometimes thought to be a little bit longer, so maybe this is a ritardando. But what it means is that the band slows down for a minute, which is a very dramatic thing to do and something that honestly I don't think that enough bands do, is take that moment to draw out the tension of that, you know, that build into the climax of the chorus and slow it down and really make us wait for it so that when they finally land on that F chord on the chorus, we're just so ready to sing along and ready for the chorus to hit us. Now that they've finally arrived at the chorus, they're not content to give you one chorus. In fact, they need to build yet again to a second time through. Hold me close, a time to dance. 
the choir of backup singers triumphantly join Elton on that iconic line of the chorus, and Paul Buckmaster's strings join as the final, most dramatic musical element. And that's really the end of the journey. They go into some nice suspended chords and build things back down. But uh, that's kind of the climax of the song. And at that point, there's really only one thing to do, and that's just do it again. There really just isn't that much to the second time through. It's just a great song and they want to do it again, which totally makes sense. But they reprise the first verse, so there aren't any new lyrics on the verse. Um, the only thing that's changed is the strings are now in. And I actually don't love the way that the strings stick out on the second time through. It feels a little bit like they're trying too hard, maybe. Like they're thinking, well, if we're just going to repeat everything again, we need to do something different. So let's really emphasize that difference. So then you get string parts that just kind of stick out like this. It's a really nice arrangement, and I think that the strings actually add a whole lot, especially on the choruses. And this is partly like maybe a mix issue, or it could even be related to a remaster that I don't think the version I'm listening to is a remaster. The strings just stick out a little bit too much for me and feel too obvious, because the song is great, and it's just doing itself again. And that's great. That's fine. This is an awesome song, and I totally appreciate that we get to just take a kind of truncated version of the journey again. It's just, it doesn't totally feel necessary to have these strings in there changing things up. I'm happy just listening to it again, because it's a great song. That really is just it. I mean, they do a verse, that they do that dramatic pre-chorus again, they do that big retardando into the chorus again, they do the chorus again, they do it twice, the, the, the backup vocals come in and it's really dramatic. And I mean, that's Tiny Dancer. It's just that, that amazing chorus and the journey to get to that chorus. One of the things I love about this song and about Elton John's songs in general are how piano-y they are, if that makes sense. He writes songs that are much more in the tradition of the Great American Songbook and kind of the piano songs that you would have learned as a piano student at the Royal Academy of Music. And, you know, it's it's rock music and it's pop music, but it definitely has a lot more suspended chords and dominant seventh chords and interesting, you know, pedal tones that he loves to use. And uh, it's very piano-y, and I think there's a lot of that in this song and um, obviously a lot of that in Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Another thing that I think I should mention is just Elton John's voice. One of the really fun things about singing along with this song is that huge vocal jump that happens at the very beginning of the chorus when he jumps up to that A and that high C. You know, that's a significantly different register than most of the song. Most of the song is kind of here. Blah, 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 blah. That's a nice place for the male register. It's kind of right in the middle, right up at the top, right before you break in that kind of lovely magic place. But then all at once, you're suddenly you're singing, Closer, tiny dancer. It's this huge and really funny jump that works great in the in the context of the song.
It's technically impressive because Elton's a great singer, but also it's just fun. It's a fun big jump into your head voice. It's a fun shift in the tenor of the vocal uh, sound because it's such a dramatic shift in the register. He does that kind of thing all the time, and um, I, I really love the way that he the way that he approaches his vocals. I think it's very playful, and it comes across. I think that's one reason that people really love singing the song. It's just because they love going up for those high notes. Now, another fascinating thing about Tiny Dancer is the lyrics, and part of that is because it gets at the fascinating relationship between Bernie Taupin, the lyricist, and Elton John. Now, Taupin has told Rolling Stone that this song is basically about the women they would meet in California, and it's sort of an amalgamation of these wonderful people that they met on the road when they were first on tour. But it's got some really lovely lyrics, you know, even that opening line, Blue Jean Baby, L.A. Lady, Seamstress for the Band. It's just this collection of images that's almost like a mirage or something that just, it conjures a very distinct image of a very distinct sort of person. And that's really cool. I like the way that when you're listening to an Elton John song, you're hearing Elton sing in his very distinct voice and style, but the story that you're being told isn't just being told by Elton John. It's being told by two people. That can actually be sort of confusing sometimes when you think, oh, maybe this song is about how Elton was feeling this way, or this song is about how he was feeling that way. And then you have to remember, no, not necessarily. It could be about how Bernie thought that Elton was feeling that way and wrote a song for him to express that, but it could also be about how Bernie was feeling. And then Elton was expressing it through himself by reading Bernie's lyrics and turning them into a song. Now, as a songwriter myself, I write my own lyrics. I've thought about how it would be really fun to work with a lyricist, though. As much as I am a writer and I like writing lyrics, that would be a really interesting process. And I try to imagine it. I imagine the process that Bernie Taupin and Elton John must have must have used because Bernie would just send lyrics to Elton. Elton would get the lyrics, just read them like a poem and figure out a song for them. And the fact that some of these lyrics became the songs that they became is pretty amazing. You know, when you read the lyrics of something like your song, And you can tell everybody This is your song It may be quite simple but Now that it's done I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down in the words How wonderful life is while you're in the world That song like flows out of its lyrics pretty organically, but there are other Bernie Taupin lyrics that are much more abstract and interesting, and the fact that Elton chose to turn them into the songs that he did is fascinating. Okay, so just as an exercise, I'm going to read the lyrics to an Elton John song that you may not know. This isn't a super well-known Elton John song, but I'm going to read the lyrics totally absent the context of the song, and I want you to just hear them like a poem, like they're standing on their own, and then try to imagine how Elton John could turn them into the song that he did. So here are the lyrics to a song called called Grey Seal. It's a song that's on Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. It's a totally killer song. But um, if you just hear the lyrics out of context, you might not uh, associate it with the song that it eventually became. So here are those lyrics. Why is it never light on my lawn? Why does it rain and never say good day to the newborn? On the big screen they showed us the sun, but it's not as bright in life as the real one. It's never quite the same as the real one. And tell me, Grey Seal, how does it feel to be so wise? To see through eyes that only see what's real? Tell me, Grey Seal. 
<laughs> now, obviously, I'm having a little bit of fun with that, but you could take those lyrics and do just about anything with them. And there's such a gulf between those lyrics, Tell Me, Grey Seal, How Does It Feel to Be So Wise, and uh, what Elton John eventually turned them into. So he took those words, and here's what he did with them. Wise is never loud on my lawn, but it didn't rain and never said Of course, you could take the lyrics to any popular song and put them to a cheesy beat poetry background and change the context and make them sound different. My point is partly that I just wanted to have fun and I thought that would be funny, but also that I want to illustrate that distance, that gulf between the lyrics and the song and the way that Bernie Taupin would provide one thing and then Elton John would take it and turn it into something else. And I think that that is just a fascinating process and it's really cool to try to tease those two things apart, even while it's very, very difficult to separate an Elton John song from the lyrics to an Elton John song. Case in point, the second song we're going to talk about on this episode, 1973's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Now, Bernie Taupin told Rolling Stone in that same article that he has virtually no memory of writing this song, which I just think is pretty funny. They wrote so many songs between them um, in this period of time in the early 70s that it actually kind of doesn't surprise me that he wouldn't remember all of them really distinctly. But he does say that in general, this song is about being kind of exhausted by how quickly they launched to fame and wanting to get back, you know, an expressing of this feeling of wanting to get back to a more simple life. So that's kind of what the song is about. You know, Oz and the Yellow Brick Road represent the sort of wild, you know, the the fabulousness of fame. And he just kind of wants to get back to his farm and back to a, a more simple life. Now, remember, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is the spiral where Tiny Dancer is the straight line. And it is very much a spiral. It's a harmonic spiral and kind of a lyrical spiral, too. Um, it moves in circles. So I'm going to be talking about a lot of shapes and geometry as I talk about this song. Let's start at the very beginning. It actually begins with a bit of a descending staircase. I really like that chord progression. It's a turnaround that happens at the very end of the progression of the sort of cycle, but um, of course they begin at the end with this kind of descending staircase that then lands on F. We're in the key of F now instead of C, like Tiny Dancer. And while the song does resolve to F several times throughout the chord progression, it kind of never stays there for very long and it's always moving. So the verse begins by cranking up the spiral, basically. And um, this kind of twisting chord progression begins right away the minute Elton starts singing. And he's playing piano and the strings are in. So check out how that sounds. When are you gonna come So that's a very like cyclical and circular sounding chord progression, and that's for a reason that I'll explain in a moment. But um, just to go over the chords, it's kind of moving from chord to chord uh, very consistently. So it goes from G minor to C to F to B flat to E flat to C and then back to F. 
Now that chord progression is following something called the circle of fourths or the circle of fifths, depending on which way you're going and who taught you music theory. But um, the circle is a very foundational thing to music theory that moves in order of fourths or fifths and takes you from one chord to the next to the next to the next in a big circle that takes you through all 12 notes. So it goes in order C, F, B flat, E flat, A flat, D flat, G flat, B, E, A, D, G, C. And that's all 12 notes that exist. And you can just go through that circle and none of them repeat. And it kind of just keeps going and going and going in a circle. It's very cyclical. So what Elton is doing, obviously, is he's not playing the entire circle of fourths. He's playing just a few of them. But those notes, the fact that he goes from G to C to F to B flat to E flat, that's almost half of the circle of fourths. And it kind of just keeps moving forward and it keeps your ear feeling like you're moving in this kind of a spiral. Despite the fact that you're not, you know, maybe aware of exactly what chords he's playing, it just has that sound to it. It's very different than something like, say, Tiny Dancer, which is just going back and forth between a C and an F, back and forth between two different chords. Um, that's a very noticeable thing for anyone's ear to hear, is that instead of going back and forth between two chords, you're going through this cycle of non-repeating chords. So listen to that first part of the verse again and, and pay attention for that, like the way that the chords are kind of moving from one to the next to the next to the next in this initial spiral of a much bigger spiral that he's building. When are you gonna come down? When are you going to lie? I should have stayed on the phone. I should have listened to my so the chords are doing one thing, but the melody is actually also emphasizing that cycle, right? Because he's he's taking a one melody and then he's moving it down and then he's moving it down again. So you get the first version of it and then the next version down and then the next version down again. And it has this feeling of kind of repetition, but in a different key center. You know you can't hold me forever. I didn't sign up. It's a striking and kind of disorienting thing to do with a verse. It's really cool. And it also really underlines the thing I was talking about earlier with how um, sort of great American songbook influenced and piano-y Elton John songs are. This is not the kind of chord progression that your average guitar playing singer-songwriter, especially in the 70s, would have written. This is just very piano music because it's centered in this kind of classical theory and the circle of fourths and those kinds of chord progressions that you would encounter, you know, in jazz music and in Tin Pan Alley show tunes and in the kind of songbook stuff that Elton John doubtless grew up learning alongside the classical repertoire that he was also practicing on piano. There's also such a Beatles influence here in his vocals. I think that Elton has this wonderfully sort of um, ever-changing voice. You know, he can sing with a country twang and he can sing with a British accent, like his actual accent. And in this case, he actually sounds kind of like John Lennon. He sounds like a Beatle, just in this initial verse. And he kind of lets it go eventually. But there's this kind of just um, nasally, you know, when I going to land kind of a sound that um that really is striking and makes this almost sound like it's a Beatles song in a lot of ways. When are you gonna come down? When are you going to land? So during this first verse, we've had the piano, Elton is singing, and the strings are in, a really lush and beautiful string arrangement this time around. And um, we're getting ready for the rhythm section to enter. And the rhythm section kind of enters at the first big fake-out um, false cadence in this song, of which there are many, and sort of takes you in this unexpected direction. Check it out. Boys too young to be Oh, my. 
Man, that pre-chorus is so good. That is definitely the most sort of distinctive sounding and probably famous part of this song is that sort of fake out to D flat, which is actually a little similar to the pre-chorus in Tiny Dancer, actually, with the notable difference that it happens 38 seconds into the song instead of, you know, more than two minutes into the song. Uh, Very, very different for the flow of the song, which itself is almost half the length of Tiny Dancer, despite kind of containing a whole lot more musical information. So Elton ends that verse on an F and he begins this walk up and then lands on the D flat. In the pre-chorus, it goes D-flat to E-flat to A-flat back to D-flat to B-flat minor to C and then back to F for the chorus. Now again, those chords, D-flat, E-flat, A-flat, that again is moving around that cycle of fourths. So we're still moving in this kind of cyclical, spiraling way, even here, which gives it again that kind of ungrounded, moving, winding road uh, vibe. There's also just some lovely work by the backup vocalist there. I mean, it almost Elton fades so far into the chorus that his lead vocals basically vanish. And it becomes almost an ensemble piece just for a minute, which is also striking and not something that usually happens in Elton John songs. Elton is always pretty present in Elton John songs. You know, his lead vocals are always present. But at this one moment, he kind of vanishes into the ether and it becomes just this mass of voices singing. It's beautiful stuff. I can't say enough good about this pre-chorus. It's such an iconic sound. In fact, um, the opening moments of Rocket Man feature this chord progression just on its own because it's so well known and famous that it kind of stands in for Elton John. You hear it and it's performed kind of by this orchestra in this very grandiose way. And it's so beautiful. I just started laughing in the theater because it was such a wonderful way to kick off the movie. It's also a great way to kick off a chorus, which comes right after this pre-chorus. Let's listen to the chorus. So again, we have a kind of a spiraling chord progression happening in this chorus. It starts on F, sure, but then soon enough, you're off to the races and we're up to A7 and then to B flat and F. I mean, it kind of just keeps moving and moving and moving. Um, I won't go through every single chord here, but it's this kind of relentless just cycle moving through chord after chord after chord with no real strong or sustained resolution in sight. So the whole chorus ends with the line, I finally decided my future lies beyond the yellow brick road. Underneath that, you know, as Elton's melody kind of goes up the uh we're doing that kind of staircase walk down that we did at the very beginning of the song and it leads this time not to a resolved f you know to the one chord the most kind of resolved sound that you can get it leads actually to another fake out cadence so the cycle the spiral just continues so listen to that listen to the sort of walk down at the end of the chorus that then leads not actually into the beginning of the verse into a sort of settled place to begin a new verse but leads instead into that pre-chorus again that's sort of a post-chorus as well. So it's like a a pre-chorus, post-chorus, chorus chorus sandwich. Uh, Listen for that, that fake-out cadence that still doesn't quite get us to F and instead just continues the spiral. Oh, I found a side of my future life beyond the 
and thus the spiral finally completes and kind of winds up for a second time through where they kind of do the whole thing again. But that's the cycle and that's the spiral of this song. It's really this unresolving, endlessly shifting series of chords that's really cool because it keeps not exactly going where you expect it to go. First, the verse moves through that circle of fourths progression. You know, it moves through so many different chords that relate to one another but don't repeat that often. Then, when it's time for the pre-chorus, it kind of fakes you out and goes into that beautiful D-flat chord progression that then builds up and lands on the chorus, which does get you to F, but then the chorus immediately leaves F behind and starts moving again through a whole cycle of chords that finally gets to that descending staircase that resolves not to F for another verse, but actually to the pre-chorus again, which gets kind of refashioned as a post-chorus and keeps the cycle going for just a little bit longer before finally resolving so you can do it again. What do you think you do then? I bet that she down the plane. So the second time through the verse is largely the same as the first time, with the notable exception of the rhythm section being in during the verse. This actually features some really nice drumming from Nigel Olson, who plays really well on this whole album. Um, he is a really good drummer and was in the Elton John band for a, a big chunk of time in the 1970s. A uh, really good player, and he plays some cool little fills and some very tasty stuff during this verse. There's also some nice guitar stuff happening, some nice backup vocals, but really it's just the same thing again. We go to that cool pre-chorus and the cycle just kind of keeps spiraling. So once they come out of the chorus, they of course do that fake out one more time for the bottom piece of bread on the chorus sandwich that is that post-chorus. And this time, of course, the post-chorus resolves as it kind of has to resolve, as it could only have resolved, to a big beautiful F chord, giving us a feeling like, at long last, the spiral is over, the journey is complete, and we have come home. And that's it, the song is over. It does the thing, it establishes a big spiral, and then it just resets the spiral and takes you through it again, and then it ends. It really does feel as though it's a long, winding road. It, it really feels as though the music kind of reflects the lyrics and captures that concept of the yellow brick road. And by just taking you down it once, and then taking you down it again, they take you on a journey, and then you say goodbye. So in that one big picture way, it is similar to Tiny Dancer, because it does its whole thing, and then it just repeats it again, a slightly shorter version. Um, a second time and that's the entirety of the recording but in so many other ways it just could not be more different and I don't think that these two songs were designed to be opposites of one another or anything I just think that they're kind of reflective of the wildly different ways that Elton John wrote songs the more harmony you know and the more chords you know, the more music theory you know, the more tools you have in your toolkit to approach a song in a different way. And he definitely shows the uh, the upside of having a whole lot of chords at your disposal because he approaches every melody so differently and clearly has such a deep bag of tricks that he can write songs that, you know, take Bernie Taupin's lyrics in such wildly different directions just because he's got all that at his disposal. 
It's all the more remarkable when you consider how many songs he and Bernie Taupin were writing during this period of time, and granted, not all of them were as complicated and dynamic and interesting as Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. The song stands out for a reason. It's a, it's a pretty distinctive and interesting song. But still, it's pretty incredible that he was just cranking these songs out, and each one is built around a distinct and interesting idea, you know? He's not just phoning it in despite how much music he was putting out. If there's one thing I've learned during these weeks of studying all the Elton John music, it's that. He was irrepressible. I cannot believe the amount of music this man generated. He clearly just loved making music, and it showed in every note that he wrote. That'll do it for my thoughts on Elton John and Bernie Taupin's Tiny Dancer and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, two wonderful songs from a wonderful songwriting team. I had so much fun learning Elton John music, and I really just recommend going and listening to all of their albums, especially to Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, because man, it's a killer. I hope you liked the show, and if you did, I hope that you'll consider backing the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash strongsongs. As always, you can send me questions for a future Q&A episode or just feedback on the show to strongsongspodcast at gmail.com. Leave me a review if you liked what you hear, and spread the words. You know, tell your friends. I think there are a lot of people out there who would like this show who haven't heard it yet. Thanks so much to my whole and half-note Patreon backers. You can find their names in the show notes. I really, really appreciate your support. That's all for now. I'll see you in two weeks with yet another strong song.